You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On this week's episode, we are finishing up uh, the book of Luke. We've been in Luke for two years, uh, and we're, we're finishing up today uh, kind of just in time for the Advent season. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit about how Luke wraps up uh, with Jesus uh, returning and uh, telling his disciples to go and make more disciples and, and that everything has to be fulfilled uh, and will be fulfilled. So it's kind of a, a nice way to end it here. And uh, we even talk a little bit more about kind of the next chapter, so to speak, quote unquote, of Luke uh, as we get into Acts a little bit. So uh, we're wrapping it up here. Uh, but as as always, if you guys have any questions or anything you'd like to contribute to this discussion or any of our past discussions, um, feel free to leave us a voicemail on Anchor or send us an email at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org or uh, leave us a message on Facebook. And we're always happy to talk about things like that. But without further ado, let's finish up Luke. always ready to eat yes <laughs> i am always ready to eat it's it's the thanksgiving edition of something real and we are thankful we're gonna make we toast and popcorn toast and popcorn is that a thanksgiving tradition wasn't that for the, you? the charlie brown thanksgiving they made uh toast and oh popcorn. yeah that's not the one that i have watched as much as the others but i I actually was going to watch it the other day, but you had to pay for it, and I was like, what? "Nah, it's like too, forty years old. Too many free movies for me to, no, to watch." Am them. I wrong in that they made toast and popcorn? It's very possible. It's anyway, very possible. that seems right. No, I eat turkey. So turkey's like, good, like a human being. And but <laughs> we eat multiple pies. Heidi just told me we were going to have fewer people together. At <clears throat> this is the year when we're at uh, Gary and Adrian's at my in-laws' house. And so uh, it seems like everybody's spread out to their other families. Mm-hmm. So my mom and my sister and brother-in-law and uh, two of their four children will be together. So that, mm-hmm. that's all they have is the five. And they're going to have at least five pies at, at this game. Naturally, so. a, pie per, <clears throat> a pie per person. It's what we do. And, you know, my sister Heidi was kind of, she's like, oh, man, it's, I feel bad having I'm like, why would you feel bad? This is what this is what pleases the Lord. We should do this. And let's be honest. Like the next the next morning, a piece of pumpkin pie for breakfast. What's better than that? Right, because if you don't have a a a pie per person, you're going to run out sooner than you want to. Exactly. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. We are uh, for the last time. Well, probably not the last time, but for now. Uh, we're in the last chapter of Luke here. We are. It is our last sermon in the series, uh, this Dear Theophilus series we've been working through. And uh, it, it um, is, is, well, it's the culmination of uh, everything that Luke has been saying. And so now as we come to the end, it, he leaves it, um, it's not really a cliffhanger, but he's kind of left it setting up the sequel. So mm-hmm. um, at another time later, he writes a second volume that we know as the Acts of the Apostles. So <clears throat> as he comes from this particular portion of God's story, uh, showing what Christ did in his earthly ministry and the establishment of who he was, and he wrote it, as he said in chapter 1, so that we could know the certainty of that which we've been taught. So he's given a historicity, a credibility to it. Uh, he's investigated these things. He's basically coming out as you know the eyewitness reporter, mm-hmm. not the eyewitness reporter, but the investigative reporter. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important yeah. to keep in mind as we've gone through this that Luke is not only a Gentile, but he's a, a doctor. Right, yeah. And so, so he's coming at it from kind of a, a scientific 
perspective. Right. Very much, uh, very much a Greek philosopher, right. Greek, you know, medical kind of a, a thing. So his whole perspective, um, as as he is coming into this is going to be a little different than right. those who grew up in a Jewish background right. who expect a certain Which amount of faith. I think it's cool. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's like God knew what he was doing. Yeah, imagine that. So as he's laying this out for us, he's establishing this foundation for our faith, which then becomes the springboard for volume two, the book of Acts, which is the the spread of the church, as we see um, what Jesus says here in 24 actually happened. So he wraps up 24 by pointing out that uh, that he's going to send the Holy Spirit and that mm-hmm. uh, the gospel is going to be preached in his name and uh, that these folks are going to be his witnesses beginning in Jerusalem and then going from there. That's actually where he picks up Acts chapter 1, where Luke picks that up, uh, and then Jesus ascends. He records the the ascension here, and then he records it again in Acts chapter 1. So you see the segue. And then it takes off from there. So then um, for 28 chapters of Acts, we see the gospel being preached, and we see these men being witnesses that are, are passing this on. And as the as the church becomes established at that point, uh, <clears throat> interestingly, it doesn't take very long for things to, to get a little out of whack, which is what a big chunk of the New Testament is, mm-hmm. is addressing where, where things have gone astray. False teachings have crept in. The devil has taken hold of people's minds and hearts. Uh, and so much of what we see in the New Testament letters are correctives. Even in the book of Revelation, which is not a letter, but it's an apocalyptic writing, uh, it starts out with letters to the churches that... that um, the Lord gives uh, this message to to the churches, which then represent not just those physical, literal churches, but beyond that uh, to various aspects or, or uh, types of the rest of, of the church universal. And mm-hmm. so uh, all of these things tend to, to bring correctives in it as well as instructions. And as we see in Luke chapter 24, <clears throat> I think I mentioned this last time we were together, this whole chapter really hits heavily on the fulfillment of prophecy. So Jesus keeps saying, this is what I told you was going to happen. And here it happened, and, and now I'm just clarifying for you. Or, um, <clears throat> you know, this is what the prophets foretold. When he meets the um, he meets those uh, two disciples on the way to Emmaus, mm-hmm. he walks them through the Old Testament to show them from all from Moses and the prophets all the way through how all the scriptures are pointing toward him. And he right. connects the dots for them. And he, he's focusing specifically on the suffering because that's the part they hadn't connected yet so that they can see that this isn't some Messiah you're still waiting for. Everything that you've seen here that's caused you doubt, it's actually what verifies that I am who I say. Okay. And so now he appears, <coughs> excuse me, at the at the end of this chapter, starting with verse 36, he appears to the rest of the disciples rather than these two out in obscurity in the country. He meets with the rest of them. Interestingly, he does this um, after leaving those two. Um, they're, they're having dinner. He breaks the bread. They are finally allowed to recognize him. They see him for who he is, and he disappears in front of their eyes. Well, they're so fired up about this that they immediately, they're, they're going back to Jerusalem. Right. So um, they, they get up, this is verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those uh, with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. So he doesn't record that, that particular appearing, mm-hmm. Jesus appearing to Simon, but uh, they're talking about it. They're fired up. And now uh, these guys are there. And when they get there, they're already talking. They just left Jesus, right? So right. they're already talking about how Jesus has come and appeared to Simon. Um, 
so they confirm it, uh, verse 35, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them when he b broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Uh, we see in the other gospels that, that the doors are locked, they're, they're hidden away. We see, uh, I, I believe even in the book of Acts, uh, I, I might be confusing that right now, but um, in Acts 1, I think we see also that the doors are locked and they're hidden away. And here's Jesus in the midst of this locked room. He just shows up in the middle of them and he says, peace be with you. And of course, peace is not with them. <laughs> he's, he's, he is blessing them with this and he's speaking to them, uh, it, calling out for this peace, wishing shalom to them as a, a fairly standard greeting. Mm -hmm. And yet specifically a standard greeting when angels show up or when the Lord shows up because it's freaky, right? So yeah. you hear the peace be with you, don't be afraid, that kind of thing. So he is, he is um, speaking this shalom to them. And they were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. Hmm. So they, even though they see him, they don't recognize him. They, you know, they might recognize that this is Jesus, but they don't recognize that this is Jesus risen. So even after all this, they still don't get it. Even after he's appeared to the two, they still don't get it. Even after he's appeared to Simon and they're all talking about it, they still don't get it. Even after he's appeared to the women or the angels have appeared to the women and they've come in and uh, spoken to them, they still don't get it. Oh, it must be a ghost. And Jesus knows this and he says to them, what's up? Or as it says in the NIV, <laughs> what's up? why are you troubled? Why, why do, you, do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. They still didn't believe him. Now they're, they're seeing it. Right. But it says uh, specifically in verse 41, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence just to further confirm that this is an actual physical resurrection. This is an important thing for us to recognize doctrinally as far as our, our Christology goes. It, it, when we talk about who Christ is and the message of the gospel, all of the gospel writers work really hard to establish the reality that this is not an optional thing. Jesus literally physically died and literally physically rose again. So his resurrected body is clearly different, you know, but it's still physical. Mm -hmm. It's perfected, and we see you know, things like this as we look forward to, to heaven and we look at the book of Revelation and we look at, at uh, things like First Thessalonians and his coming and some of the things that Paul talks about in his letters about even himself and visions being caught up into the, into the third heaven and being able to see, um, see things that he just doesn't get. You know, he sees that he's there and he doesn't get right. it. So there are things that even now we don't fully comprehend. So Jesus right. is here. And yet it's he's not... A, a image right here to those those men of what we don't comprehend. Right, exactly. <laughs> so he's here among them. They right. see he's here physically. They watch him eating this fish. They can touch him. They can you know put their hands on him. They know that he's actually literally physically present. Right. But they can't explain how he just got into the room when the doors are locked. He can't, or how they, he was here one minute and now he's Right, here. yeah. Right. So all of that kind of stuff, there's something unique. The Lord is... Whether that's in, endemic to this resurrected body... Uh, which many would, would say, or whether it's just the, the Lord is spiriting him away, which we see even in the Old Testament, that's possible as well. You know, I see like in movies and, and depictions of, of this particular scenario or, or when Jesus comes back, you see they'll, they'll have like the holes the holes in his wrists and yeah. his feet or the whatever. And then he mentions that here, you don't touch my hands and feet, but then you think, well, he's perfect, so that's yeah. gone away. 
Well, you know, interestingly, think about maybe I just haven't read. Think about you what know. you just said and, and the whole concept of what he says. So clearly, he has them because he has uh, Thomas actually touches his. That's what his I thought. Yeah, feet. right. Uh, he's he's showing them here uh, that his body, right? And mm-hmm. he says, "Look at my hands and feet." Mm-hmm. So while think, it's not okay. saying scars here, you, when he talks to right. Thomas, he's specifically right. saying that. But that also tells us something. When this idea of being perfect and complete and, and fully everything that we're supposed to be doesn't mean that our scars go away. Mm-hmm. So when when we are made new in Christ, when we're new creatures and the old is gone and the new has come... Doesn't necessarily mean... Our, our scars are part of that. Right. So our scars, the, the suffering and the pain is actually part of that perfection, part mm-hmm. of that completeness. So apart from those scars, Jesus... In a in a human sense, wouldn't be who he is. That right. that's what led him to this place. Hmm. Apart from those scars, he doesn't die for because us. Because when you think about perfection, you just think this unblemished, right. you know, whatever. And so, in in a, in a true sense, those scars now now resurrected and redeemed, so to speak, just like our redeemed scars are no longer blemishes, but they're mm. part of the perfected person that, that Christ has put together in us, us in him, his identity with us. We still bear scars. He bears scars for us. Mm-hmm. He bears our scars. Mm-hmm. Those those uh, holes in his hands and feet and the spear in his side, those aren't his. Those right. are mine. Right. I earned those, right. and he wears them. But the rest of these scars that we carry, all of these difficulties, these are the landmarks on our journey. These are the things that are, are sort of touchstones that mm-hmm. we can look at and say, okay, this is where God carried me. This right. is, you know, that footprints in the sand kind of thing, which, you know, sometimes we can think of that as cliche because it's been around. We've heard it a lot of times. But what a powerful picture right. that we literally, we think he's abandoned us. But it's not that he's abandoned us. It's that those are the times when he's carried us. And it's the... It's the scars that are the footprints on our souls that remind us of these opportunities and allow us to grow. So apart from them, we can't really be the, the, the complete, perfect person that we're intended to be, which is exactly what James says in right. chapter one of his letters, consider it, of his letter, consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. All of the hardships, all the difficulties, all the suffering, Peter says it in his letter that he's left us an example that we should follow in his steps, speaking specifically of suffering. So the path of the Christ follower is always going to involve scars. It's Mm -hmm. always going to involve pain. And James says perseverance, which comes through this pain, through these scars, it has to finish its work in order for us to be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So if we don't have the suffering, if we don't have the scars, we don't have the overwhelming pain that, that feels like it's going to do us in and we can't function, we can't live, I just, I can't even, I can't go forward, I can't move, I, you know, there's no chance that I'm going to survive this, I'm done. You know, everybody always tells me that, that's it, I'm done. Done with what? <laughs> You're done suffering? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Done living? No, because we're still going on. We're still right, pressing on right. going forward. So as we do this, what we need to be done with is done trying to do it ourselves well, and kinda, focusing on now. And that's kind of tying into what we talked about on Sunday that, you know, even though all of this, 
no matter what junk is happening in our life, Jesus still is who he says he is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he, the, even when he's telling, you know, his, his followers here, look, this is what I said was going to happen. This yeah. is what happened. And that's continuing to happen. Right. And, he, he, and those scars are right. evidence of right. it. Right. It's interesting, you know, that you brought this up. And as we're, as I'm talking, I'm like, man, I hope I'm not going too far off on a side road. But, it's not really. But it really is the heart of it. Right. And so I'm glad that you brought it up because... You are welcome. <laughs> because... He actually, those scars are, they're necessary in the evidence for them, for him to show them this is who I am, right? So apart from those scars, are there, you know, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I can see and touch the scars myself. Right. Which interestingly, when Jesus shows him, he doesn't. Right. He immediately falls on his feet, on his knees before Christ. So as we, um, as we see this, our scars are necessary in that. And it does draw us back, like you said, to the idea that he is faithful, mm-hmm. that, that everything that he said, including the suffering, which it, that's a it's big a, point. Shows, yes, I went through this that's for a, you. That's right. <laughs> that's a big point of chapter 24 is yeah. not, this isn't an accident. This right. wasn't a, a, you know, suddenly this is a, a, a shift in the plan. This was always foretold. Right. This was always what was going to happen right. from Genesis 3.15 that the, the serpent was going to bruise the, the seed of the woman. I just turned in my Advent devotion last night and that was the verse I nice. had. Nice. So. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, it, from that, Isaiah 53, that he would, he would bear these scars for us. Then as we look at, at this now, as they, we can see what they couldn't see until this moment. It, he needed the scars mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. He, you know, Jesus needs nothing in himself, but he needed the scars for them to be able to give them this evidence that this is what the Father has always planned. It's always been foretold this way. And for us as well, it's a reminder, just like our, our core reality from Sunday sermon, that the king whose word has been faithful in the past can be trusted to rule our present and future. Right. They're going to need that going forward, and he gives them this commission, this challenge. Um, it's not, I don't know, challenge probably isn't even the right word. Um, but but he goes directly from this suffering into the broad picture of God's faithfulness to his word and how that relates to the Messiah. And from that, it's, that's the launching pad for here's now what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Here's what you're going to see in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. They don't know there's a book of Acts yet. because you know, anyway. So, but here's what's going to happen in volume two based on the fact that God has always been faithful. And he, God said, the scars are coming. The scars came. Here I am. So as he says to them, uh, uh, verse 44, uh, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which he's been emphasizing here and, and specifically to those on the road to Emmaus, that it's not just everything in general. Yes, everything, but specifically related to the suffering, the mm-hmm. thing that was shaking their faith the most, mm-hmm. this had to be fulfilled because this is what was foretold. This is what the, the plan has always been. <clears throat> Sometimes when we say prophecy or foretold, um, we get like this this ancient mystical idea that, you know, this is what the, the oracle said. Well, really, when we're talking about prophecies or oracles in reality, all we're, all we're saying is God explaining in that moment in advance what he's going to do right. based on the plan that he has always had. Nothing more mystical than that. It's simply God communicating to us. <clears throat> so as... You can see I'm still out of breath. I've been out of breath the entire time. It's just more I'm fuel still... for the supercar. <laughs> <laughs> so if I would actually uh, 
you know, catch my breath before we start the podcast, I might actually. We've been doing this for 18 minutes. All right. And I haven't stopped talking the entire time. That's true. I should should speak more. So uh, he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Really a huge verse, I think, for all of us to recognize. We can't understand the scriptures until our minds have been opened by the Spirit of God. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And then he goes into the phase two. So this, what has happened already mm-hmm. proves to you that this was always part of the plan. Right. God is faithful. You can trust him with what's going to happen next. What's going to happen next, starting in verse 47, is, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, in the Son of Man's name, in the Christ's name, <coughs> excuse me, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. In other words, you're going to be the ones that share this. You're right. going to be the ones that go out and tell. Right. You know, you've seen it, you've experienced it, you know me. Because you know me, you have the responsibility of introducing others to me. Mm-hmm. Our youth group memory verse uh, this week was um, from Second Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians five eighteen. That uh, it's in the same paragraph talking about uh, us being new creatures in Christ. And Paul's already said, since we know what it means to fear God, we we implore others to be reconciled to God. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, this is we we want to persuade people to mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. know Him. So in in Second uh, Corinthians five eighteen, Paul writes that all this all this new creature stuff, all this gospel is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and in so doing, in in, in reconciling us to Himself through Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that's what Jesus is doing here. In, in Matthew uh, chapter 28, he gives the Great Commission. And this is Luke's version of that same kind of, uh, of that same story. There he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been, have been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. Right. Therefore, because this authority is mine, you can trust that I'll be with you. You can trust that I've got this under control. You've seen already what God has said, what God has promised comes to fruition. You've got all the tools. You have what is needed, not in yourself, because you're insufficient for the task, mm-hmm. but I am more than sufficient. So as, as he says, go make disciples of all nations. Here's what, what Luke says. The Christ will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father had promised. has promised. He promised a helper. He promised that he would send one who would be with them, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Interestingly, that's where Acts 1 starts, is you will Mm. be clothed with power from on high when you receive the Holy Spirit. And so they stay in Jerusalem, they receive the Holy Spirit, and everything from there sets, it's like a a wildfire. Right. um, And he wraps the, the, the book up, this passage, this story, and the book uh, with... When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, uh, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God, and you know just recognizing that he had been taken from them once already in the crucifixion, right. and in that temporary separation, 
they couldn't handle it. They, you know, they freaked out, they scattered, then they huddled together and hid. And, and the chapter begins with them huddled together, you know, mm-hmm. you know, even this passage in verse 36. They're in this locked room gathered together, waiting for some kind of hope that they're right. not getting. And then and just like, hey. here it is. <laughs> now he's taken from them. And he's not returning in their lifetime, right. except for when he talks to Paul in a vision. But uh, <clears throat> so we have these, you know, appearances. But Christ doesn't return uh, during their lifetime. That's still yet future for us. <clears throat> so as this wraps up, they're in the opposite spot of where they were just a few paragraphs before he's leaving and now they're consumed with worship now they're you know their entire priority system has changed what whatever was important no longer becomes important to them because the only thing that matters is christ and and when we get to that place uh this was you know kind of a my my daughter wants to make youth group t-shirts with this on it because she's excited about this idea when we get to this place where we finally get it where where nothing else matters but jesus and he's the 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 most important thing he's the center of everything in our existence then everything becomes sanctified Mm -hmm. it becomes sacralized as as one person said Mm -hmm. that that the things that that were mundane sweeping the floor becomes divine because we're doing it for Christ. We're not doing it just to do it. We're not just, you know, pushing broom. We are actually living out our existence here in this life as ambassadors for Christ with the right. ministry of reconciliation, with a purpose and a significance that is beyond this life. So if I, you know, if I have success in my job and I, you know, make a million dollars and I lead a great corporation or I write a bunch of books or, or whatever. And that's it. Solomon captures that in, right. in Ecclesiastes and says, Psh, vanity. This is all vanity. I can do all this stuff. I've done all this stuff. I've built cities. I've built palaces. I've, I've amassed a great army. I've amassed, you know, 700 wives. I've got, you know, wealth and reputation and wisdom and everybody thinks this is great and it's all empty right so his conclusion at the end of that is just just enjoy life and walk with god when we see here what happens with them when they see christ at the center of everything now for the rest of their existence and this is the picture we see in in acts uh, in the book of acts all of those other things, they are just mechanisms. They're just tools to be able to glorify God, to be able to be witnesses for Christ so that everywhere they go, the, the whole purpose of their existence is to draw people to Christ. So then when I'm being kind to someone else, it's not just because I watched Mr. Rogers as a kid. Right. It, you know, it's, it's not because that's what society tells me to do. It's because when I'm kind to them, they're getting a picture of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I want them not to think of me as a kind person, but I want them to see Christ because it's the kindness, the loving kindness of God that draws us to him and leads us to repentance. And unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians get that wrong. And that's why we get kind of a bad rep. Because we're not reflecting that the way we should. In our day, we, it tends to go both ways, where we uh, we, right. we, that, we yeah. have more of a what you might consider a liberal Christian or a right. liberal theology. Right, I'm talking about the so present. That, yeah. So that we go, um, we go so far into this 
secularist type right. kindness, a human-centered kindness, because that's what we're supposed to do, that we don't leave offend anybody, out don't the do gospel anything. of right, truth. Right. And then we go so far the other way that we end up you know, right. being so, uh, you know, there's a particular Bible teacher, I won't mention his name, has been uh, caught up in controversy, not the first time, who is right on almost everything that he says. Sometimes he just says it in a jerky way. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not that he's a jerk. It doesn't mean to, to do it's that necessarily, that, yeah, yeah. but just comes across arrogant sometimes. And I think to myself, man, you could have said that same thing. And he's got a platform to draw people toward Christ. And yeah. when you say things in a certain way or whatever, that and, and gives them the wrong question, idea. He has a much bigger, broader ministry than I'll sure, ever have. Sure. I, I don't want to in any way imply that he's not doing Same responsibility right. is... But there are others who, you know, I, I think particularly when I when I think of a gentle truth teller, uh, I think of like John Piper, for example, mm-hmm. or a Chuck Swindoll who, mm-hmm. who can say, look, here's the truth of God's word. We can't wiggle on that because that's reality. If I do anything other than than completely faithfully communicate God's word, I'm being dishonest and that's not loving. But I can do that in, with a with a gentle tone, with my hand on your shoulder instead of right. my foot on your neck. Right. You know, that that the idea that you know, this is this is truth. Accept it or go to hell. You know right. that that's not exactly going to draw people. It's not right. that it's not right. It, right. it it's one hundred percent accurate. But God Himself, even you know, we have the the Old Testament. A big chunk of the Old Testament is God demonstrating His holiness in purging sin. And but His gentleness to those who are humble, to those uh, to those who belong to Him in particular, is unspeakable mm-hmm. and and that's the picture we see over and over again so the old testament what people like to act like oh god's so harsh in the old testament jesus is better i like jesus better than i like god the father give me a break you know we've just totally missed everything you can't because they're the same but but even in the old testament before we even get to christ we see the fullness of god in his righteous wrath demonstrated in in very specific laws that that require uh, capital punishment for right. unholy behaviors specifically in Israel that's another conversation for another time that's a Leviticus conversation I think we had that previously not but, on the podcast oh that's too bad we missed it. we'll have to go back and repodcast through Leviticus but but as we're seeing this it's not that it's not that God was harsh and then and then now he like he's, softened up it's that we don't understand right we, because we only read parts. He hasn't changed. And, and we try to judge God by our standards right. as if that were a thing, and it's not. Ultimately, we can sit in judgment of God all we want. Just like I can say, you know, I can be angry with, if I'm standing and facing criminal charges, I'm standing before the judge, I can shake my finger at the judge all day long. I can talk about how bad this judge is. doesn't matter. I'm still the one on trial, and I have to face his judgment, not right. the other way around. Right. So... That, so maybe know, not a good idea to shake your fingers. So it's not. It's really not. But that's what we do with God. Right. You know, why would God be so harsh? I can't believe in a God like that. Okay. So why is gravity so harsh? Uh, you know, I fell why down. Why can't I fly? I fell off my skateboard and right. hurt my face. I don't believe in gravity anymore. Um, that's not how it works. So anyway, as we see how this comes together, the, the reality that 
the reality that they see reality mm -hmm. changes their perception of reality. So no longer the things that they thought were real, the things that they thought were important, no longer do they have a grip on them. So they're able to then go into a hostile world, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which happens in Acts 2. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to do what God has called them to do, what Christ has sent them out to do as witnesses, despite the hostility around yeah. them, despite the persecution. And that's why Paul, uh, specifically, as he's writing in his letters, you know, we see it in Philippians, we see it in, in several of them, but, but Philippians kind of jumps out. This idea that, yeah, man, I'm in prison. <laughs> I've been through hard things. I, I know what it's like to have plenty. I know what it's like to be in want. It doesn't matter because I'm, this isn't my home. I'm here to do a job. I'm an ambassador. So if you're going to throw me in prison, awesome. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. Right. You want to chain me to a, to a soldier, to a guard? That's even better because now I've got a captive audience. He can't get away. I'm going to keep showing him love. I'm going to keep telling him about Jesus. And, and, and it's interesting. It's not throughout this. It's not just preaching right. absent of action. Right. It's preaching and action. It's the uh, the... You know, sometimes we'll think of preachers, you know, calling down Standing this fire the, and brimstone right, right. and stuff. That's not how it ever has been in the scriptures. It's not how it is with Jesus. It's not how it is in the book of Acts. It's not how it is in Paul's letters. It's not how it is in the church. So the idea that, you know, when people say, well, we, we want to welcome everybody. Yeah, no kidding. That's the call of the church from the beginning of time. We've always welcomed everybody. I've never been to a church, and I've been I've been to conservative churches in Texas where you know you hear all these terrible stories. I've never known anybody who thinks that it's right and godly to to persecute somebody because of their sins. Right. Nobody that I've ever known. Because nobody been. would be in church then. That's right. Because that's all of us. But we do. If we love people, we need to trust God's word. We need to tell the truth about God's word and we need to do it in a way that upholds that faithfully and lovingly. That's what Jesus did. That's what he calls them to do. And even here, he doesn't say you need to go out and, you know, sell this to people. Right. You just have to be my witnesses. I'll give you the power as, as, as I send, as the father sends this Holy Spirit to you. And when I'm in you, in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit, then all that happens takes on new meaning, mm -hmm. takes on new power, because you're living not for yourself, but you're living as ambassadors. You don't, you're not citizens here, mm -hmm. primarily. You are citizens of another land, here representing Christ, reflecting Him through relationships. So then when, when that happens, when Jesus becomes my everything, then everything becomes a Jesus thing, and all of my life becomes sanctified through that. Um, I know we're over time here, but I just wanted to say real quick, I find it very cool and, and I feel very connected when I think about the fact that <coughs> from this passage and from those disciples going out and spreading the word, here I am, right? here you are, and we're called to do the same thing, but it all stemmed from this. Yeah. That's right. That's, I mean, that's that is, really makes you feel that's like that's an important connection for us to make. Yeah. I'm glad that you see that. And, and we had talked about that previously yeah. on, on the podcast, and I, I know lots of times in, per, in person that when we when we see ourselves in the scripture, when it becomes a mirror for us, it mm -hmm. takes on new meaning mm -hmm. and it takes on new life for mm -hmm. us. Um, when it's just a book that we're supposed to read because right. we we're told to and all that kind of stuff, then. You know, it's like when you're in high school and you're there because you have to be, not right. because you want to be. Right. 
as opposed to when you're at in you know say in college or you're studying in your major or you're taking you know a class in high school that you, in it, right. that you really want to be in and right. you're so fired up because this matters to you right. you know i just i it was talking to my son about um business professionals of america and, and the business classes that i teach in school I'm like man you know if they ever would market these classes in-house a little bit better to students and maybe rename it instead of you know business principles or or whatever uh, classes you're taking if you call the class how to become a millionaire how many more kids do you think are going to take it it's going to change because when it starts to become practical this is this is the class that you take to learn how to make a living in a way that that you can't do you know you want you you're not going to get that from right. gym class. Now, right. I, I like gym class. That was my favorite. I took band for four years, so I didn't have to take gym. <laughs> uh, when you do these other things, that's great. Right. But when you learn the principles of life in business, right. that's going to do something. You start to connect that, and people want to do it. And right. then the homework isn't homework. It's something you get to do. Right. The same thing happens when we begin to see like, like that connection that you just mentioned. When we get to see this is our story. Mm-hmm. It's not some story out there. This is our story. This mm-hmm. I'm in this. We are Acts chapter 29. It stops at 28. We're 29. When we begin to see those things, then it's not a matter of, well, I have to do my devotions. You know, I've got to check this off my my religious checklist. Mm-hmm. It's not like that at all. It's when do I get to go meet with God? I just am longing like a deer panting for water to meet with God. I can't wait to get to church, to be with the people of God, to hear the word of God and to sing the praises of God. This is what I'm longing for. All of my week is culminating here in this opportunity to get with God's people. It's not a matter of, well, I don't know if I have time for another Bible study. It's like, I don't have time for the rest of this stuff because there's a Bible study going on. That's where I want to be so that the rest of my life can be empowered and and energized through this. But it's a matter of perspective. If we don't right. make those connections that this really does, this is, this is my everything. Right. When it becomes my everything, then all the rest of the stuff becomes more powerful. Well, we'll end there. It's been, it's been real. <laughs> for Luke. It's been something. It's been something. For, it's been for, real. For two years. It's been something real. Hey, that's a good place to end it. I have nothing better to say. <laughs> so we will next time get into our uh, Advent season. We will, and we're excited about this gospel series in the Advent because what we really want to do is, through this Christmas season, uh, connect the reality of God to the realities of life. That sounds like a podcast slogan. Should be. Thanks for listening.